This episode of Yes Girl Podcast is sponsored by Red Table Talk, starring Jada Pinkett Smith, only on Facebook Watch. Join Jada, her mother Adrian, and daughter Willow as these three generations of women take on some of the most important and personal issues of today. Nominated for a People's Choice Award, these women spill all the tea and prove nothing is off the table. Taking on everything from sex, relationships, religion, race, body image, and much more. Fans are encouraged to join the conversation too, sharing stories and asking the community, and sometimes Jada directly, for advice, insight, and wisdom in the official Red Table Talk group on Facebook. It's real talk that really matters. Catch new episodes every Monday and join the conversation all week long, only on Facebook Watch. See you at the Red Table. Red Table Talk is back with all new episodes on Facebook Watch. Join me, Jada Pinkett-Smith, my mother, Adrian, and my daughter, Willow, as we take on some of the most important and personal issues of today. We'll be joined by some very special guests, from Will Smith to Leah Remini. So join the conversation and watch Red Table Talk only on Facebook Watch. Hey, Charlie. Hi, boo. How are you? I'm jealous of Corey's vacation. Oh my God, what is Corey? Corey's an Abu Dhabi girl, Mm. living her best life. Please go on her feet, everyone. And just look at all that heat and just beauty. and She's giving us desert goddess. I love it. She's giving us temple goddess. (laughs) Her hotel room's on like the 100th floor. (laughs) (laughs) I'm already feeling it. Like I didn't just come back from Martinique, but we'll talk. I'm Charlie Penn. I'm Yolanda Sanguini. And this is Yes Yes, Girl. Missing out Corey. Because she's living her best life. She really is. But you were living too in Martinique. I was. It was a moment. Yeah. Our, in case you guys don't know, our new CCO, Moana Lewis from Martinique. So she gave us all the tea on where to go and what to check out. And a lot of people are going to be going to Martinique, Yolanda. Do you know why? Why? Because the Norwegian Airways flight direct from New York to Martinique is like under $200. No. Y'all, y'all heard it here first. And then what's Martinique like? Charlie? Um, it's a French island in the the French West Indies. And it is France. First of all, I need to emphasize that because we were in France. Like it's a French island like Hawaii is part of the US. Mm. And I don't think a lot of people know that. Mm. So everybody spoke French. It was like it was a moment. It was restful, it was relaxing, it was beautiful, the beaches. I lived my best life. There were a lot of things I couldn't really eat. You know, y'all have particular set of tastes. We need a whole podcast episode (laughs) on Charlie's palate. <laughs> Yo, I don't eat a fish with the head on it. I won't say FYI. it. FYI. I won't say it, but if you serve me a fish with the whole head and tail and I can see his teeth, it's not happening. <laughs> we had tempura the other day, <laughs> shrimp tempura, and our colleague Julie cut off the head for Charlie yes. because Charlie claimed that she could see the teeth. I was like, first of all, it's dipped in like tempura. How do you see the, the teeth? But okay, that's you. I can't do it. But Martinique was beautiful, girl. That sand. And can I, I just want to stay a little longer because you know, self-care is important, self-care. which is why I'm jealous of Corey, but I'm actually really happy for Corey. And speaking of self-care, our guest this week is really doing something many of us should do more of mm-hmm. um, before I get into that. But it, it is um, Jamel Hill, yes. former ESPN anchor who self-care led her to leave her high power job. Yes. And with nothing really in, in, in sight, but then up. within days, days, she was hired by the Atlantic to be a staff writer. She also started her own um, 
production company with her best friend, Kelly Carter. Okay. Um, so she has done what so many of us wish we could do. When a job is no longer serving you, Girl. what do you do? That fantasy is real. Yeah. Have you ever been in a job so bad and you just feel so underappreciated and just so overlooked that you dread going to work? Yeah. I mean, I know people like dread going to work, like low key, low key, but I mean, dread going to work. Yeah. There's a difference yeah. between not wanting to go to work and feeling like being at work is bad for your bad for you. Mm. Which is what I think Jamel talks about. Like it was not, it was, it was a mutual, it was time to go. Yeah. And I want to ask you though, Charlie, have yeah. you ever left a job that everybody was like, why would you leave that? No, not that everyone on the outside would say, why would you leave? But I've definitely left a job where on the inside I knew I was quietly dying. Yeah. And that it was actually toxic. What about you? Hmm. I don't think I have either. I've never left a job that everybody was like, what? Why would you leave that? But I do understand the idea of like when you know a place is just not for you. I remember Mm -hmm. I had a job that was like working with the community and it was supposed to, you know, on paper, it looked really, really good. But I just, there was one day I was like, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. I can't do this. My spirit, the, you know, the, the, my colleagues, like it just was not working. And I just, I left with nothing to go to. I had no other job. I really admire women who do that. I know a lot of women who've done that, especially when you don't have that next check, that next coin lined up. Mm. But when you're doing that for your spirit, I haven't had to do it yet, but I hope that when the time comes, I'm brave enough. Yeah, yeah. Because that's bravery, knowing that God's got you. Yeah. And trusting. No severance, no unemployment. It's going to walk on out this door. No unemployment. And know that God will pay. find a way for me to pay my bills. But the good thing, I wish we had an organ. Mm, the good thing about a, being a resourceful woman yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that you know something. You know, mm-hmm. it is God's going to get you, but also you know how to work your resources. Yes, you yeah. really do. And then that's like like what Jamil was telling us, and you guys will hear about it. Things just line up for you. Yeah. yeah. I feel like you really get back what you put out. Yeah. But okay, sidebar though. You know I always have a hack. Y'all, I'm full of life hacks. <laughs> My friend... <laughs> My friend taught me this one. When you're interviewing at a job, mm-hmm. they're going to tell you, you're going to ask them about work-life balance. You're going to be like, you know, is it happy here? And they're going to give you all the lip service. She said, on your way in and out, they always walk you through people. Mm. Look at their faces. Ooh. Look, not, don't look at who's walking you to the interview room. Look around at the office. Are wow. people quiet? Are they miserable? Are they engulfed? Are they talking? Are they smiling? Wow. Every other person that you interact with on your way to and from that interview room, see how they're feeling. Wow. That is that is a good life hack. Right? Because they're not putting on for you. No. They're doing their work. They're just getting through it. Yeah. You know, and you if you see the black girl in the back, ride a water cooler mouth <laughs> and get out. <laughs> Go, get girl. Out. I would do that. If I worked at a toxic place and I saw a sister getting interviewed and they weren't looking at it, be like, get out. Get out. <laughs> Run. Wouldn't you? Yes. It's already toxic for black people in most work environments these days. And now on top of that, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I would tell you guys. I would warn you. No, but seriously, that even though we either of us haven't haven't had a chance to go through that at work or haven't had an opportunity to have to say, I'm just going to step out on faith. Yeah. I think we've done it in other ways in our lives. Yeah, yeah. Trusting I think our gut. Trust your gut is so important. Um, I think so many of us, though, we stop trusting our gut after a mm-hmm. while. Like, I feel like every day I have to tell myself to trust my gut, trust my gut. Because there was a time where I was just running on on just fumes, right? Yes. I just got to do my job, got to do my job, you know? And I just did not trust 
my and sometimes I have to check in with my gut. Like, what is my gut telling I know. me? When do you? Okay, okay, I got one. I got one. When do you feel most in touch with your gut? I think at night mm. because I'm alone. Got I'm it. alone. I'm not a mom. I'm not up. Well, right. on certain nights. <laughs> <laughs> Because I know Biko will be like, mm, mom, mom, but mommy, you know, a newborn mom. though allows you that time, very a lot of quiet time. True, but it is. Time I think for, for me, that's really the time where I reflect the most and really check in with my gut. But I, I think checking in with your gut and really following it is an art that many of us don't practice. See, my gut sometimes doesn't pick up the phone for me, but when it does, <laughs> my, my gut is always busy, um, booked and busy. <laughs> My gut is on Instagram. My gut is be on the gram. <laughs> but when I can't get in touch with her, when she does make a little time for me, it's usually on an airplane. Really? Looking out the window. That's interesting. Because I think I'm very visual. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the only time where there's nothing that I can look at to distract me. Mm. You know, usually don't have service. You're not trying to pay for that Wi-Fi. You don't want to open up your laptop because that means you're working. And if you're not doing anything else, you're just I'm just looking out the window mm. and there's nothing for me to see to trigger another thought. It's just me and God up there. Mm. So usually on an airplane is when I'm really like, okay, mm. I hear the thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, the little voice in the back that's like, girl, do this. Yeah. Girl, don't yeah. do that. That's when I hear it. But mm-hmm. it's interesting you said at night. My yeah. my mind is very noisy at night. Really? Too many devices. Yeah. <laughs> I try to put away the devices at night and I turn off the TV. I turn off everything and just be with myself. Which is not easy for, I'll be honest. Really? It's not, it's not How super easy. How do you do that? I do it now because I've had to practice, but it wasn't easy in the beginning. I watched Trevor, my husband and I watched Trevor Noah, like the, you know, Daily Show at night. Then we cut it off and we watch YouTube, like hilarious yeah. YouTube videos together on one phone. Like, you know how yeah. you read a kid a bedtime story? Yeah. We do a bedtime funny a bedtime. video. <laughs> With each other. Yeah. I'll be like, ooh, watch this one. Yeah. He'll be like, ooh, watch this one. But either way, it's still screen time, screen time, screen time. Yeah. I think for me, I'm really in the cusp of change. I can feel it. Mm. So I really need to, I understand that I need to focus and really be with myself. Because I think the world that we live in does not encourage us being with ourselves. And just being quiet and listening to our intuition. Mm. When, you guys, okay, we got to let us know what y'all think. Yeah. When do you get in touch with your gut? When does your gut talk to you? Yeah. And what's your gut telling you? What is your gut telling what you? What right you about now? to do, girl? Girl. Hashtag Yes Girl Podcast. And then also, have you ever had to leave? Have you ever left a job that you just felt like wasn't serving you anymore? Mm-hmm. And you took a leap of faith with no other job in the you know horizon and you just went for it? You know, like like our guest. Okay. Jamel Hill. Landa, who's here? Ooh, girl. It feels so good to read these receipts. Somebody very special is with us today. Corey's not here to say it. I know. But Jamel motherfucking Hill. Yes! You did great. <laughs> is that how y'all? Yes. That's how y'all refer to me? Uh, yes. yes. Okay. Well, that's like how we it. refer to all of our very special guests. <laughs> oh, nice. Like, okay. we get right to the receipt. So now I feel less special if you refer to everybody that no, way. No, but no. I said all our very special guests. Oh, okay. All right. Hold we'll on. do it. Right. VP. Okay, I got you. I mean, I do have bad motherfucker on my wallet, so it's, I understand. Uh, well, then, let's go. 
I'm going to read these receipts for a little yes, bit. We're going to tell people. So she began are. her career as a sports reporter mm-hmm. in her native Michigan. What up, Detroit? <laughs> and worked her way up to becoming an ESPN anchor behind shows like His and Hers and Sports Center. With a career spanning 21 years, Jamel Juanita Hill has earned all the accolades. <laughs> Wait, did Re- you just say my government name <laughs> over here? Y'all know I got warrants, right? Are you just going to be, what? All right. Oh, come on, Jamel Juanita. Recently, she was named Journalist of the Year by the National Association of Black Journalists mm-hmm. in recognition of a distinguished body of work with extraordinary depth. You hear that language? Girl, extraordinary. If you're missing Jamel on your screens, you can currently hear her narrating Shut Up and Dribble on Showtime, a three-part documentary executive produced by LeBron James mm-hmm. looking at the changing role of black athletes in today's cultural and political environment. Jamel recently left ESPN after 12 years to become a staff writer at The Atlantic, and she also launched her own production company with best friend and fellow journo Kelly Carter. Jamel, girl! (laughs) You are booked and blessed and busy. (laughs) All the accolades. Yeah, um, Yeah. I am. um, Even though this has been a crazy time in my life as they often say it's better that they call than they don't call right yeah so yeah uh if i'm a, a little bit tired i consider that a blessing because i could be real energetic and real broke so i uh, luckily yes. i'm not either of those yeah <laughs> i always like looking at our guest faces when we read the receipts because it's i always wonder if you hear yourself like hear all that you've done when people just run it down mm. like you don't often sit there and say i've done a lot i always feel like when people discuss my career and they start rattling off my receipts that they're talking about somebody else Mm -hmm. that they're not really talking about me not because I can't believe that I've been able to do some of those things but it just feels like they're talking about a whole other person so um maybe it's just because I I live my life on simple so it's just like oh yeah it was really nice that that happened and that I'm narrating this great documentary on Showtime and had the opportunity to uh sort of work with LeBron James there but yeah it just feels like they're you guys are talking about somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. And LeBron I think, is um, really riding with black yeah. women right now. Mm-hmm. He is. And it's look, like, he is married to a black woman. He is raising a black woman. Um, not just with me, but I think with other things he's done uh, in recent months and over the last year or so is that he is clearly on a mission to elevate and empower and position you know, black women. Um, if you think about it in sports, Whenever there's a documentary, you do not often hear a black woman's voice. You often don't hear a woman's voice, period, certainly as a narrator. So I think the fact that he was um, intentional in choosing me says a lot about what his priorities are. And for that matter, that he understands the unique position and unique challenges that black women face. Nice. I want to go all the way back to the beginning Mm -hmm. of your career. I mean, you did use my government name. I I mean, Juanita. I feel you like know, we're there. <laughs> you started, you really started off as a sports reporter um, and working in newspaper, newsrooms. And I want to know what made you want to do sports reporting of all genres of reporting that you could have done. Well, um, I was the neighborhood tomboy. Um, so I used to like do backflips off garages on the dirty mattresses. <laughs> um, used to play tag in the street. Um, and, you know, when we had neighborhood football, like I was the quarterback because. You know, before there was Michael Vick, it was me. So, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, I used to play sports and I watched sports, but I also was a voracious reader and I loved to write. So I wrote poems and short stories 
and um, many novels. And so the two things that have always been a part of my life are sports and writing. And back in those days, you had to actually read the newspaper to follow your sports teams. Mm -hmm. And so that helped me develop a love and appreciation for journalism. And in high school, I joined my high school newspaper staff. And I was really lucky. Be I was an outlier. A lot of people change their careers and their passions and what they think they want to be when they grow up two, three, four, five times. But the moment that I went into a newsroom in high school and started, you know, uh, being a journalist, like I was hooked. So mm-hmm. it's the only thing I've ever known how to do. I can't do math. So that was out um, <laughs> like most journalists. Right. And I certainly am somebody who is. Um, about truth and seeking the and pursuing the truth so it just seemed to be perfect and I picked sports because I thought that was a great lens in which to tell stories I love competition um, and you know athletes despite the fact they're often depicted as being very one-dimensional are very multi-layered mm-hmm. and it's through sports as we've seen that we've been able to get a real window into society's problems it's also one of the few things as Americans that we do together is mm-hmm. watch sports so there's a lot of unique um, opportunities to tell stories in a very complicated and dynamic way. So that's why sports always attracted me. I love it. One of my favorite things that Oprah always says is that our gifts choose us. Mm. So you were great at sports and I mean, you love sports and you love writing, but when did you realize you were great at both Um, together? Like combining the two, when did you realize you were good? Never. (laughs) No, I'm still waiting. (laughs) No. Yeah. No, I mean, I I realized that I worked hard at it and Mm. that I knew how to, um, position myself career-wise. I knew how to, I knew how to operate and navigate the business, and mm-hmm. I learned that early on, knowing how to get internships, um, knowing the types of stories I needed to do to get me to whatever that ne- next step may be. But uh, I'm terrible at accepting compliments and terrible at giving them to myself. Mm-hmm. So when people ask me, me <laughs> right, when Girl. people ask me well, what's the best thing you've accomplished or what are you most proud of? I'm like, nothing, because I haven't felt like I've really done anything yet. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to answer the question of when did you think you were good at it? Maybe I'll look at it as when did you think you didn't suck at it? Okay, well, I'll tell you, I didn't think I sucked at it. You know, probably I got really comfortable as a writer by about by about the time that I joined ESPN. Mm-hmm. And I think about the type of journalist I was when I came through the door in 2006 versus when I left a few months ago and I'm a much better journalist, much better, much better on air personality, radio, podcasting, television. Uh, I'm much more versatile and have many more tools in my tool bag than I did when I came in the door. So uh, I guess that's something to be proud of. Yeah. Did you come in the door thinking you'd be an on air personality? Never. No, I didn't want to. I made fun of TV people. Yeah. I wasn't going to join the dark side. Yeah. <laughs> and here you are. <laughs> and yeah. And then I saw Matt Lauer's contract. Oh yeah, twenty five million dollars a year. That TV Fridays money. off. That TV money is long see that's strong. Only, it's true. Yeah. It's only so much money they're gonna pay you yeah, if yeah. you're a writer. True. There's a ceiling there. There's no ceiling in television. Yeah. And so, the good thing for me is that when I started doing TV, I didn't take it very seriously. So I never went through anxiety about being on television or nervousness. Um, because I didn't take it seriously. I just was on TV kicking it. I was like, all right. I'm going to just talk this shit, and if they like it, I got these jokes, you know, and that was, like, pretty much it, and that was how I approached it, and so it's one of the few times in my life where my lack of seriousness actually was a great asset, so 
Uh, I and looked, money. And you yeah. can make money. And yeah, the first time I saw, I remember, so I the first show I did was uh, Cold Pizza, which, used, uh, which became First Take. And I didn't even know I got paid to do it because I was already working yeah. at ESPN, but television wasn't in my contract. Mm. So it was a whole other check. And I remember getting that check because uh, I did a week's worth and I made thirty five hundred bucks. I was like, "What? Uh, Where was I not on this before?" <laughs> you like, excuse me, I need to go. I need to go quit. And, you're right. I'll be I back. was like, so I get basically uh, my whole salary. You know what I would get for writing, and all I did was probably about ten minutes of television a day. Yeah. I was like, yes. this, I was like, this the wave right here. So uh, let me uh, mess with this TV thing for a little bit. Um, so what? Yeah, no, I mean, I, look, as journalists. We all get into this for very noble reasons. You know, as I said, truth, fairness, accountability. They mean a lot to me. And but there's nothing that says I have to be broken pursuing those things. Right. And for that matter, I think it's okay for journalists to make a financial decision and to be about their business. I mean, I became a better journalist when I became a better businesswoman. So um, I don't have a problem with saying, yeah, there's many avenues in which you can make money in this business. And television is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, I the things that I would say, writing a thousand words in a column, I get just get to say uh, in 15 or 20 minutes, maybe even 10, depending on the uh, m- amount of time. And I just get paid five times as much money. So to me, I'm just being efficient. I would like to call mm-hmm. Beyonce. Give me yeah. my check. <laughs> that is I'm talking money. money. Like, yes. yeah. that's am- and you have a great point. You get to just say 20, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, how long does it take yeah. us to write like Girl. a story? We It'll all take know. you weeks. That's being on deadline, yeah. feature, and same and impact, same mm-hmm. impact. And and granted, it's a different process, right? Um, and I don't mean to diminish or act as if TV isn't hard. TV is very difficult. Yeah. It comes with its own unique set of of challenges and mm-hmm. and and obstacles and things I had to learn to get better at. Um, but it, you know the the re- the reality is that it does give you a different kind of power mm-hmm. because of the reach of television and just how people react to it mm-hmm. uh, versus how they might react to something that you put into print. Yeah. Did you think you were crazy when you left ESPN after twelve years? No. No. Mm-mm. Everything happens for a reason, yeah. mm-hmm. and that was not something that was thoughtlessly approached yeah 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 I mean that those those steps were ordered as they say and so um no I mean it was time to go uh I I had a great time at ESPN um built a lot of great relationship love a lot of people who are still there um it's the best job I've ever had but uh I made this analogy often um and it's it's applicable it's like uh when you're in a relationship and you love each other, but you have no business being together. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we were at that point yeah. that, you know, the it had run its course. It was a good run. Yeah, It went way longer than I thought when I got there in 06. I thought I'd be there a couple of years. I was just mm-hmm. mostly thinking of it the way I had my other jobs. And I looked up, you know, over a decade later and I was still there. So, um, yeah, no, it was, as I said, I was a much better journalist um, by the time I left than when I came in there. So uh espn i mean they changed my life so i I have nothing but you know respect uh for that place and for the leadership there and i will always look at my time there fondly despite the turmoil of the last year yeah now what have you learned about growth and change and self-care since your transition from that to the atlantic and to Mm -hmm. starting your own production company like 
a lot of big, wonderful changes. Yeah, when I transition, I go all the way, apparently. <laughs> you go hard. <laughs> I go hard. Mm. It's like, I left my job, uh, you know, started a new job, moved to across the city, uh, or across the country, rather. Um, moved in with my boyfriend, too, so I did everything on that one. Mm. Just check all the boxes. I was like, yeah, it. let me just do all of this. New, all the, you like me, like, 2018. Yeah, like, what? <laughs> Little change. That's nothing. Let's no. make this all the way. Um, I've learned a lot about, I've never been the type of person who was afraid of change. Mm-hmm. I embrace, I embrace uh, discomfort. Yeah. It's the only way you can grow. Yeah. You have to do something completely uncomfortable. And so this is a different step in my career because I was used to doing everything kind of in a traditional media kind of way. Mm-hmm. You work for mm-hmm. one company, you draw mm-hmm. one check, here's your boss, this is what you're supposed to write, this is what you're doing on TV, this is what time your show starts. Mm-hmm. Everything was very linear. Um, this is more a la carte. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have a writing home at the Atlantic, um, finalizing some details for what will be a podcast home. Um, I want to create content outside of traditional writing. Mm-hmm. I want to you know, create scripted and unscripted television and, and do some writing there, more behind the camera stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's I'm putting a hand in all these different places because I feel like that's kind of the model for how media careers are built and maintained. Yeah. The whole point of working as hard as I've worked for 21 years, establishing these relationships, is that you do that with the thought and hope that you will get to you know, be at a point where you can do what you want to do as opposed to what you have to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm not... Tell the kids <laughs> that, Jamel. You do. That's just the truth. It's like a lot yeah. of what you do That's as you build your Plant career. The yeah, you're that planting the, the seeds. Yeah. You're making it so at some point you get to pull the trigger mm-hmm. you know on on something really fantastic that is truly about your passions and the kind of work and people you want to align yourself with so now everything i'm looking at is about working with people not for people mm-hmm. so um it's it's a it's a special time uh, for me in my career, it's also, you know, a, a scary time. I know where some checks are coming from, but not where all the checks are coming yeah. from, <laughs> right? So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to um, just plot everything out as, as best I can. But, um, yeah, I mean, there is something scary and exhilarating about it, but um, it's also a lot of fun. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm just waiting to see where all of this takes me. Up next, more chat with our girl, Jamel. Red Table Talk is back with all new episodes on Facebook Watch. Join me, Jada Pinkett Smith, my mother, Adrian, and my daughter, Willow, as we take on some of the most important and personal issues of today. We'll be joined by some very special guests from Will Smith to Leah Remini. So join the conversation and watch Red Table Talk only on Facebook Watch. So as part of your sister squad that you don't know us, but we're okay. part of your sister yeah. squad. All right. We're Good. on the sidelines cheering, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, I appreciate it. you know, watching 
it makes me, it made me angry when I read certain things and they say Jamel Hill is outspoken, Jamel Hill is controversial, and I'm like, why do they do this to mm-hmm. us? Yeah. When you are tell, speaking your truth and allow white men in the sports space to kind of say what they need to say, but when you say it, it's like, oh, it's a big thing. It's an adjective. How did you, what was it like for you inside of it? Because it's like it's it's. We at Essence are always like, what the fuck? Why was she? Yeah. Why does she? We read the news apology? differently. Yeah. I mean, because as black women, we don't read it the way everyone else does. We yeah. see, we see, we see the nuance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, well, here's the thing. I don't think that you know. I definitely think that, to get back to your original point is that the perception of black outspokenness, especially from women, is mm-hmm. is viewed and characterized completely differently. Even our, when we're upset or angry and have every, every right to be. I mean, yeah. hello, Serena Williams. Like, yes, it's depicted yeah. in a certain way as if it's unhinged and uncontrollable. Yeah. And, oh, we don't know what she's about to do next. I have to laugh at the controversial label because I don't consider myself to be controversial at all. Um, I speak not just from a position of truth, but just from right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't know that was really that controversial. Mm-hmm. And the way people sometimes, I think, have a characterization of me is like I'm walking around mad with my fist in the air, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, that's not necessarily who, my, <laughs> who I am. Not that there's, you know, anything, you know, wrong with that, but I'm a pretty laid back person. And so sometimes I have to laugh at these perceptions of me and these headlines that, refer to me as being outspoken angry my favorite is um when either fox or or <laughs> breitbart whatever breitbart, uh, yeah oh i know i wish like, i could wipe my around. ass with that okay that's what's at the point um no they just crack me up because all their headlines are uh something along the lines of 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 trump hater anti-trump reporter mm. <laughs> i know it's like mm. it is so funny <laughs> to me like, uh, just because it's so stupid yeah you and know they're but, reporter yeah it's like guys a journalist yeah gone. or journalist like it's always some Ta-ha, adjective in quotes. front of my name exactly yeah, yeah. um but that's okay you know yeah. people they they're gonna think and perceive and and depict you however they want to regardless and that's why i, I don't worry with that stuff yeah. you know i worry about direct deposit not about what people okay say. okay <laughs> as, as as oprah would say that's the tweet tweet tweet, tweet. <laughs> Wait, and who is it that always says you you know you made it when you can put auto pay on all your bills? Yes. Yvonne Orgy. Yvonne Orgy. She came here and she was yes. like, when I But that's a word though. Auto pay? That's a word. That's success. Or yeah, or when you you find yourself no longer looking at you in a grocery store yeah. and you just go right for the name brands and yeah. just pick yeah. it up. No you coupons. No coupons. No you ain't looking for three comparing, for twelve. No You're not apps. comparing That's anything. That's When I don't have to say, hold on, let me. I think I have a coupon. Right. You know where your ethnic. What about when you transfer from saving? I was checking. Why was I just about to say that? I was like, when you opt that transfer life, when you like, all right, I might all need right. to pull this fifty dollars okay. over. Or when you forget to, and all you can think about is getting home before the overdrive. You can send him to it. Ooh, my favorite game used to be beat it to the bank. Beat it to the bank. You made it, right? (laughs) You'd be like, hurry up the fees. The fees. I'm gonna charge you twenty five dollars for two. Exactly. What I do want to say is I you know, we all I truly believe what you see is what you get, right? And we're in a world now where people have a lot of influence, Mm. but they do different things with it. What I love about you, 1.5 million followers, hello, <laughs> is you'll say things like, even this morning, she said, yeah, I'm on The Breakfast Club, but what's really good is this donation that I just made. Yeah. I love that. Oh, well, thank that's you. you be- I mean, but that's amazing because, unfortunately, I think we see a lot more people, especially the youth, 
coming out and they're like, selfie, selfie, look at me, I'm cute, endorsement. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and that influence becomes their currency yeah. and yeah. it goes to their head. And I don't think they mean any harm, right. but that's just what they see. And, you know, it's so many, uh, 1.5 million followers as a journalist, that's huge. But you're not out here like, you know, sponsor trip. Oh, yeah. I'm cute. <laughs> Hashtag ad. I, know. Ad. I mean, I, I will take some sponsorship. Yes. Just if you listen out there, to I just the want Caribbean. you to know. <laughs> Right? Yo, if any, beach. any of you private jet companies like, want to hook me up, I'll tweet. Like, but I got you. that's not your life. You know, your life is I mean, giving that. I <laughs> Jamel's like, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Why are you trying to give me all my blessings? This is what like, we said. No, Jamel, Juanita. <laughs> But I hear what you're saying. But you do a little of both. You can, yeah. you know, you're the queen of all things. Yeah. But yeah. I love that authenticity. And I feel really guilty about that flat tummy tea I'm about to endorse. <laughs> She's like, look, I'm let me just schedule playing. that for next week. I'll take a waist trainer. <laughs> Revolution must be finance. It, it, look, look. It, it, that's the way it okay. is. But no, I, I hear you. The, the, the whole reason I got into social media, it wasn't, I wasn't paid to do it. Right. I uh, wasn't asked to do it. It was not a part of my job description, but it was a way to interact and promote work. And also um, the third part of that is bringing other people's work into your life that you didn't even know existed. And so my base of people that I'm exposed to um, is so much broader than it was pre-social media. And I appreciate that part. But I think today a lot of the kids, the youths, they, um, they are firmly baked and born in technology. I'm more or less a technology immigrant, right? And they conceive social media in a way and with a level of seriousness that I just can't take it, yeah. right? Like, I not can't take how they do it, but I'm just saying I don't take it that seriously. Right, yeah, yeah. I take it with a grain of salt. But for them, you know, we had the street corner meeting at the roller skate rink or yeah. being out in the neighborhood. They have Facebook. Twitter fight. Yeah. Twitter yeah. fights or whatever. I was yeah. like, Wait, y'all no arguing with characters? Wait, yeah. remember like, th- like remember the, the shit button got hands? Like, like what, we, what we doing? Okay. Remember three-way? Oh, three-way. Man, you be like, I was giving a word on three-way. Like, three people way? did not Wait, understand. Hold on, hold on. Let me get Jamel on the phone. Mm-hmm. No, see, or I the see, secret three-way. The secret three-way. The see, the setup. The setups. Yes, yeah, see, I, I had to use three-way. I had to be covert with because my mother didn't allow me to have boy phone calls till I was like 38. So, so you have a friend I, called your man? Exactly. Yes, so I was too. on, I, I had a, my girl, she would call a dude that I might have been hollering at uh-huh, or uh-huh. might have been my, my pseudo-boyfriend of the week at that point, uh-huh. right? <laughs> and everybody knew the rules because you know how mamas, they try to be slick. They pick up the phone. They pick up the phone. <laughs> and people don't know if you live with a black mama, that's like that's you, Living with the FBI. Oh, yeah. Like, and she's listening. And she's listening. listening. you like, Fez is watching, right? Fez is watching. I'm your fresh friend pops up. Hello? Yes. Right. Right. Yes, exactly. Right. And you can hear it because it's like a bunch yes. of jumping. Like, it's a bunch of jumping. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to wear this lipstick tomorrow. Right. They just get and right. And you know how to code switch. Yes. Exactly. You're like, oh, geometry was really fun oh today. My God. Whatever. And so the dude knows he got to go military silent. Yeah. Say nothing. Say nothing. Don't even breathe. Right. She might be like, who else on this phone? Like, don't breathe. <laughs> And, and then, then you get busted when the call, then, you know, the call ID doesn't go through. I mean, like, call waiting. <laughs> and then your aunt calls, like, at two hours later. It was like, I'm trying to call for two hours. I know, right? you're busted. Because your phone, I was so, the, the your greatest. Your phone was busy. Your phone was busy. The for greatest advent in technology was when you could still get another incoming call yes. on three-way. On three-way. Right, because I had that joint tied up for Which took way too long. Way but too I'm undefeated long. at three-way deception. Oh undefeated. <laughs> My mama never called me. Ever, you just—I so, just—we just went so far back. I know. Then oh these people God. are like, "What's a phone?" Oh, like, I know. <laughs> they don't even know in a three-way. My niece was like, "What do you mean you used to have to call your voicemail?" <laughs> See, 
I used to be you like, yeah, you should have kicked her out the house. Just Wait, like, I'll don't tell you something. This is completely random. But my nine-year-old told me, he said, what's Facebook? What? He's nine. I don't really we, use we're Facebook. We're that years old that people don't Not, know what Facebook is. They don't is. know what Facebook is. But he, what is he, Snapchat? Snapchat. Snapchat. It's IG. all about Snapchat. But mostly Not Snapchat. even IG. Yeah. Just Snapchat. Young, young, said, youngins. He said, what's Facebook? Wow. Uh, no, no, I mean, I don't, that means I, you know, I don't use it that much him. in front of him. I'm just like, what? <laughs> That's, I mean, the, ge- the generation gap is unreal. Nine. It's unreal. Oh, my gosh. So that means he would have been born in, like, in the yeah. 2000s? Yeah. He uses Snapchat and Twitch. Oh, Twitch. Okay. So, anyway. ask him if he knows what an alarm clock is. Because my niece was like, <laughs> my niece was like, what is this thing? She thought it was a radio. But it's like, because everyone uses phones. Yeah, like, no true. one uses. So she was like, what is this contraption? This? <laughs> she was pressing the button trying to open it. I was like, what are you doing? She was like, trying to play the radio. I was like, that is an alarm clock. Oh my God. I was uh, just recently speaking at university in Missouri, and um, I was talking about the fact that every job I'd ever had in journalism mm-hmm. had uh, every job I'd ever had had been in journalism except for two. Like one summer I was um I was a cashier at a YMCA, YMCA snack counter, which means all I did was get a homie's free food the entire time, right? <laughs> and I just wondered how I didn't get fired at that job because it would be like four hundred Twinkies missing and two dollars in the register. And I'm like, how did I not go down for embezzlement at twelve? <laughs> But anyway, the other job I had was I, I delivered phone books in college because I was so broke. Wow. Yeah. And then when I phone said phone books. books, like the audience was looking at me like, what the hell is a phone book? Wow. And I'm like, ooh, they don't know they all the numbers used to be in one yep. book. And it Yellow was 7,000 pounds. Pages. See what I'm saying? And then they tried to be slick and advanced and put it on a CD. But like, who the hell is going to do wow. that? And right? people use them as doorstops. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> Pretty much. Door open with and, that or, phone or, book. and or weapons where I'm from. Yes. But that's. Or storyboards, right? Stools, absolutely. The original baby seat was like a yellow pages and a phone book. I used to sit on three phone books to get my hair pressed (laughs) and on a salon chair. Seriously, okay. We just I have another question. All the way left. You are from Detroit. I am. What I love, I've said this. I'll keep saying this in the podcast. Nobody rides higher than Detroit women. Ooh, fabulous, it's fun, and they ride for their city. We do. What is so special about Detroit women and growing up in Detroit? What? I see it, but like, tell me how that that pride comes about. Well, I think a lot of people just in general have like basic pride for wherever they're from. Y'all different. Yeah, but we we are different. <laughs> Y'all different. We are a little different. I mean, a lot of it has to do with the fact that we're not the cool city. Like, we're not Chicago. We're not L.A. We're Got not it. New York. People don't have a built-in interest to come and visit Detroit. So if we don't hold each other down, nobody is. When I was growing up, Detroit, you can count on being on the news twice a year. Once because we either led the nation in murders or we were in the top five. Mm -hmm. The other was because we had a tradition, a terrible tradition called Devil's Night, where we just decided to set the whole city on fire the night before Halloween. And like at its worst, in like the mid-'80s when I was like 9 or 10, it was 600 fires set in the city the night before Halloween. And we called it Devil's Night. It was a tradition for years. You light abandoned buildings on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it uh, that is the only time I was used to seeing Detroit make the news. And mm-hmm. since it was usually something negative, I think it gave us a huge chip on our shoulders but, and a different level of pride for our city. Mm-hmm. And... No, it, it's a it's a it's a working class blue collar town, mm-hmm. and that to me gives you different you know values and principles and just mm-hmm. the way that you look at things. And it's a black city. I mean, people often talk about the other chocolate cities and mm-hmm. D.C., Atlanta, but Detroit black as hell, right? <laughs> 
And uh, I remember Mike Epps made this joke once about Detroit that was so true. And because of the auto plants there, you have blue collar people making middle class money. Right. So you can literally be out as he's talking about, he'd be at a comedy show and you have a dude who worked at the plant next to a dude in like a three piece suit, you know, who worked in the white collar industry. And so those those two are mixing constantly. Mm -hmm. So you go to Detroit and the crowds look real interesting. You know, somebody (laughs) in a mink. Right. Because we wear minks. That's what we do. Right. So we wear minks and gators. Don't get it twisted. It. Fabulous. Because we ain't nothing but Mississippi. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> right. you just, they, yeah. Your grandparents took the train. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Right yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just the product of migration. Yes. That's all. Yes. <laughs> so there's a countryness to Detroit and also this kind of um, like ghetto fabulousness. Yeah. And so that's probably why when you run into a lot of Detroit women that we just ride hard for our city and we just have a certain viewpoint. Yeah. Um, and it's a striver city. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a town of you got to hustle. Yeah. You know, it's like one of my friends told me you got to have five hustles out here. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so people in Detroit like definitely believe in turning one check into two check, two checks into three. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's just how we're built. And if you yell wow. like, is Detroit in the house? Y'all, oh my God. Yeah, you'll hear like, what up though? Or 313, <laughs> some other colorful language that I can't quite say. <laughs> but that's, yeah, we, because again, we feel like it's, it's not a lot of us, but there's a lot more Detroit people out there than, than they realize. Speaking of Detroit, you and Kelly. Yes, Carter, Kelly. Your uh, bestie. Also from the Detroit area. Both from Detroit, and you guys started your own production company. Yep. Please give us all the tea on that real quick. Okay. You don't want to miss that. That's um, epic. Yes. Your it, production company. It is It is a, a nice step in, in all of this. <laughs> um, so we named the company Lodge Freeway Media because it's the freeway that connects the city to the suburbs. Mm-hmm. So Kelly grew up right outside of Detroit, and I grew up in Detroit, inside of Detroit. Uh, so that was sort of the meaning behind the name. And basically, you know, we want to tell stories about our people and with the success of insecure and Atlanta now in Hollywood, I mean, I think a lot of people never thought they see today, but black creatives are wanted. Mm -hmm. It's hard to, we're going through the process now where we're looking for writers and producers and it's hard to get them Mm -hmm. because everybody's snapping them up. And I consider that to be a great sign of the evolution of Hollywood. Now, you know, we in the door and we have been, and we're starting to attain power though. Um, and that's why I look at what Issa Rae has done and, and Viola Davis, what she's doing. You see all these athletes now that are starting production companies, black athletes. LeBron has his, Kevin Durant has one, Steph Curry has one, because they're tired of waiting on other people to tell their story. And so my, um, our desire to do that comes from kind of the same place. So we're really excited about some of the projects that we um, have out there we're developing a comedy series with uh, Gabrielle Union and Sony and nice. we're real excited <clears throat> about that and um, our opportunity to continue to uh, tell our stories in different ways because it's it's funny uh, you know when you see some of the movies that have been made and especially there's always going to be a audience and somebody willing to make more movies about black trauma right mm-hmm. after I saw 12 years of slave good movie but I was like, I can't, yo. Like, I mean, I know, Literally. I mean, I don't know what happened through instead of me because I didn't live through it, but I know based off, obviously, Literally. what I've read and, and being educated about it. But I just got tired of seeing that movie made. Like, you can make that um, in your sleep. Mm-hmm. And so I was so happy that 
these lighter things to see insecure where we are, we're laughing yeah, and having fun and being in awkward situations. It's almost like a black curb your enthusiasm. Like I got tired. I mean, I'm glad that those that there's space for those now and not just us being violated or traumatized in some way. And even, the feel good space. Oh, and the feel good. And we or feel just good? even in a, yeah, just to make us feel good. Yeah. Or even in a something like uh, what is it, Widows that Viola Davis mm-hmm. has coming out, where you know she is looking like a kick ass crime fighter. Yes, um, right, a heist movie with yes. a black woman as the lead yes. who's married with her to natural hair. With her natural hair, who's married mm-hmm. to Liam Neeson. I was oh, like, hello. you know what I'm saying? Sign me up. Okay. Yeah, for once, he, one of his kids ain't money. being kidnapped. Thank God, because he yeah. was the worst father ever. So. Ever. <laughs> Even with that particular, (laughs) so it's just I'm just loving to see us in these like different roles, and I want to contribute to that. And you know, as again, you got to be a businesswoman about it too. We saw all seen them checks that Netflix is writing, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, Netflix dropping a billion content, zeros. You know, Hulu, Amazon, they're all people. They don't have enough content to keep up with consumption. So I'm more than happy to help them with the problem. And we're oh more than happy God. to For a big in. fee, of course. <laughs> we are and we are tuning in to your life story. Okay. Yeah, definitely. So. <laughs> on Lifetime at 8 p.m. <laughs> on Saturday. Um, the Jamel Hill. Juanita Hill story. <laughs> y'all gonna stop with this middle name nonsense. <laughs> so, it's a ring. Like, y'all gonna have people out there. You know y'all people can't handle that kind of information. They're gonna be, I'm walking down the street. Juanita. <laughs> Juanita. And I'm gonna... Want to cuss y'all out I because know. you have now told them. be tagging us on Twitter like, Wait, y'all. Speaking of Mississippi, where's your family originally from? Uh, Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they're from there. You go. Nice. <laughs> I got five meals. That's all I got. All right. I love it. Five, I, love I, it. Got, I got five. I, mean, anybody, I might have seven now. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah, one I might have seven. One day that's one good. for every day of the week. See, that's all I need, right? I, I, I like to, I love watching cooking shows because I love to see the process and the energy behind things. And um, even to explain the story, I mean, I like millions of other people. Like, I love Anthony Bourdain. Oh, His yeah, suicide yeah. just hit me so hard yeah. because before it was Parts Unknown, I've been watching No Reservations. His book, Kitchen Confidential, is one of the best books I've ever read. Mm-hmm. And he was a great storyteller, and he could tell that story through food. And I always admired that about him. But I love just celebrity chefs in general. I like to see them put stuff together. Thing is, I only had a patience for about 45 minutes yeah. of, like, cooking. <laughs> Total to process. Warm it up. <laughs> I don't like chopping things. Yeah. You know, uh, the preparation part, I'm like, yeah, I'm good on that. If I could get a permanent shoe, a sous chef in my life, which will be my boyfriend, he doesn't know this yet, then maybe <laughs> that will work. But other but than until that, then. until then, it's like, mm, mm-hmm. nah, that's, that's, that's not my testimony. Yeah. Like, I, I made dressing with my mother the last three years because, you know, she's trying to hand down this recipe, Aww, this recipe to me or that. whatever, which I love. But I was like, damn, there's too many steps. <laughs> Like cans and you cut stuff you and you add someone to crap. You never make it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, no, no, you, no. You know, it was like a day and a half process. <laughs> I'm just like, all That's of this. too much. I'll mess it, this step up. Ooh, it is too much. Oh, you know, I got a better chance of learning one of Beyonce's dance routines than that. Oh, oh my goodness. And I was like, nah, between that and the mac and cheese, I was oh. like, so we just said step two and it's 700 to go. Oh, like, no. I always Google under blank recipes, under 30 minutes, under 20 <laughs> minutes, two ingredient recipes. You ever get cute with your Google? Two ingredients. Oh, my yes. God. <laughs> I had not thought of that. Mac Google and what you cheese. need. About. Google what you need. <laughs> what you need. Yes. That's a oh word. I mean, I, you know, that's oh, out there. Yeah. I didn't know oh I could do goodness. that. I, that's and speaking of what we need, we need more of you and your authenticity. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, we I are rooting for it. you. We're watching. We're proud. Oh, so All proud. Right. We're on the sidelines. We should get more uh, props on the yes. sidelines. We need pom-poms and people. Coming. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hey. 
Yeah, I hope you're using everybody's give me middle name. Yeah. <laughs> see, I thought y'all was going to spell out what I needed. Then. No, we're going no. to have to <laughs> We're behaving. We know better. No, but truly, Thank we you. are rooting for you. I'm Thank so you. I'm so proud of you. And just, you know, keep making us proud, boo. Yeah, I'm going to try. Thank <laughs> you. Special thanks to our guest, Jamel Hill, and our sponsor, Facebook Watch. Be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Yes Yes Girl, Girl, featuring interviews with Jada Pinkett-Smith, Tisha Campbell and Tashina Arnold, and Michelle Williams. We'll see you next week.